amazing. Well, then let's uh, let's invite them to our podcast, Jeff. <laughs> okay, great. Well, welcome everyone. Uh, welcome, welcome, Duncan. Duncan, I don't know if you've heard of this podcast. <laughs> it's where we've yeah we're um, opening our game this week. Um, not you're not hosting it. Um, expect expect to be grilled. Um, you're going to be ruined by this process. Um, so, but, but basically. This week we've got um, so so Sarah Evans who uh, funny we're going around this process of turning guests into hosts and and vice versa. Sarah has very kindly uh, uh, agreed to to become a co-host uh, for the podcast, which is fantastic. And um, just like to uh, uh, yeah, and to tip tip the hat again to to Acan and the amazing work that they're doing. Um, but um, so I'm looking forward to seeing how that can inform the direction of this podcast going forward. And it's nice as well not to just have you know middle-aged white men um uh <laughs> telling everybody how how the world should be <laughs> yeah i'm gonna slowly push you all out just just so you know just so, you know. <laughs> so we've got duncan um on along with dane ralston from iopt assets um, an internet of things company who have been doing extraordinary things uh in terms of understanding uh, how bad our buildings are, really, I suppose, <laughs> and how to make them better. Um, so, uh, and, and Duncan is on, I guess, in his capacity as someone who has worked with Dane and encouraged him as a, as a client at Renfrewshire Council um, to, uh, to, to to use these systems to to spot problems and to and and to and to, to actually look after their look after their tenants. So, welcome, Duncan, onto Zero Ambitions, and welcome, Dane, too. Thank you. So that's a that's a nice introduction. Thank you so much. It's nice to be here. It's nice to be here and not have to worry about um, anything really because you guys are in charge. So I'm I'm sit, you know, listeners can't see this, but I'm sitting arms folded in a, a lovely hoodie, colourful hoodie, uh, and I'm just uh, I'm looking forward to the questions. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's great to be here. But you still have to worry about what you say, Duncan. Not really. <laughs> Do you yeah. ever worry about what you say, Duncan? Say so much of it that really it's uh, <laughs> it's difficult. But no, I mean I I, I do uh, I think it's a great this is a great opportunity to talk about something really and we talk about innovation all the time, but actually this is a really great example of 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 innovation that I, that I think has actually started to kind of grow in different directions. Um, I mean probably worthwhile me telling you what I do because I know that we all know each other we're all mates. But uh, do you want me just to give you a kind of rundown in, in, in terms of what I do for the next few weeks anyway? Yeah, I, that, I would I say that. Sorry, I would say that and I would also say, like, um, as somebody who's really, really interested in monitoring and understanding our buildings from a retrofit perspective, um, I was really fascinated when I first came across the IOPT um, software, I suppose, and the system. So it'd be really great as well to tell us just because, um, I, you know, you can presume that all us architects really know what this is, but... <laughs> Give us, give us the basics. <laughs> so so I, I took a job about 10 years ago in, in social housing. Um, I've got a, a background in construction and energy, um, practical building surveying, energy management. And, and the job I took in the social housing um, last social landlord was about managing assets, so asset and energy management. And uh, probably a lot of people don't, don't know this, that, Housing associations and local authorities differ in, in, lots of, in lots of ways in how they provide housing. Um, you tend to find that local authorities are burdened by historic debt that they have to pay back to the Treasury, which constrains the income that they make through rents and that they have, I would say, much limited amount of income to, to, to spend on improvements as a result of that historic debt. You don't find that to the same extent within housing associations. Housing associations historically have been freed from that debt um, if they were part of local authorities or sort of things like Scottish homes. However, at the same time, there are constraints in the uh, with housing associations and how they can raise capital and spend capital with their lenders. So probably evens itself out short thing we have to focus in on is as an asset manager in charge of 11 12000 homes how do you best provide value for money for not just the repairs but for the improvements you're trying to make so when you look at social housing you have to look at it through the prism of of the tenant and you know the elephant in the room in, in, in social housing compared to housing in general is 
significantly more issues around um, uh, agency in terms of uh, in terms of uh, funding finance. Sorry, what I mean by that is income. So the tenants that we house are significantly disadvantaged uh, compared to the general population. You tend to find there are more people who are in lower paid employment, who are not on employment, who are on benefits, and indeed who are elderly and retired. I think the figure that Department of Local Government had pre-pandemic was 63% of um, social housing tenants on some form of benefits, and that's a significant proportion. Mm. And, and I'm, I'm including my own family uh, in, 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 in this when I talk about the, the amount of, of money available. My mum's a pensioner, a single pensioner just now, and she's on £7,000 a year, seven grand. Mm. You know, that's, that's not a lot of cash. So mm. the reason I say that is when we talk about how we invest in our homes, we have to, and, and we talk about climate emergency, and we talk about you know, zero carbon, we have to understand that those financial improvements we make has a direct impact on the money that people have available to spend on their heating and their general well-being. So so I, I look after the investment um, for those 12,000 homes. It's a significant capital investment. It's a £100 million programme just now. And uh, you need to make sure that that has been spent wisely. I think that's the, the, the best way of, of, of putting it. Okay. So Dane, Dane, Dane and I uh, Dane and I had, had knowledge of each other um, uh, before we started working on this project. But we met and, and one of the when I first came into the job, we looked at the repairs budget. Um, and uh, I won't tell you the exact figure, but it's fair to say you need to count up now. <laughs> so we were spending a seven figure budget on specifically uh, damp and cold homes, so remedying damp and cold homes through uh, rock, we call it rock work, generically rock works. It's a term that we all know, but for the uneducated, <laughs> rock works is about um, making good uh, damage through um, things like um, condensation, damp mould. Um, that kind I of think thing. you referred to them as reactive um, repairs, right? Which it's is good. Key. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on. Reactive repairs, so. You know, if, if a kid breaks a window with a football, it's a reactive repair, and you can't really plan for that. That's kind of a chance thing. But reactive repairs come into brackets. So your reactive repairs, you can kind of uh, plan if you know what's going on. And that's exactly it, Sarah, because we, we thought, right, well, if we're spending a seven-figure sum on reactive repairs that you had better data on, you could actually stop that. You can't stop a kid chucking a ball at a window. Mm. But if you know what's going on in that pathway in a house would lead to the intervention through um, um, fabric repairs, through rock work repairs, then, yeah, you have to look at that. So, so Dean and I were at, a, I think it was that old chief exec at Glasgow, wasn't it? That, is it Michael, Math- I say Michael Matheson or one of them? And um, we were we were watching this guy perform and um, we were, I was talking about the, the issues we had. And Dean, you want to come in and tell, tell us, because you were doing something equally, I thought, quite cool at the time. Yeah, I mean, we were... First of all, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. And, uh, and just see if you're saying that in half an hour's time, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, true, true. And not to be outnumbered by Scottish accents as well, actually. That makes a nice thing. Um, um, yeah, we were working in the electricity distribution networks. And interestingly, it wasn't until about three or four years ago that I realized actually I've been doing this asset monitoring lark for. 20, 25 years. It started off in cars, then it went to aircraft and then ATM machines and, and electricity distribution networks was what we were working in whenever I first met Duncan. Um, and basically what we do is monitor, measure what's going on in assets that are remote from the people who care about them and look after them um, and make sure that those assets are performing as well as they should be. Um, for all stakeholders. So, you know, an aircraft, it's not just the guy who's maintaining the engine, it's the people who are, you know, being traipsed around the, the world in them as well that, that care how well they're being maintained. Um, and it's exactly the same in, in social housing. You know, you have guys like Duncan or in North Lanarkshire or Edinburgh, or wherever you are in the country, you've got guys who are maintaining and managing tens of thousands of assets that may as well in some cases be on the moon. You know, they, they mm-hmm. don't get access to them nearly as much uh, maybe as they should, or maybe they just don't have the resources to go around. So we basically take 
relatively simple data um, and um, give them back insights that they wouldn't otherwise get. Um, and that can be with regards how the property is performing itself um, or how maybe the tenant is having an impact on or the tenant situation is having an impact on the home. And there's two properties that, that to give you an indication of, of what we're looking at here, two properties that have come up with completely different customers in the last 24 hours. Um, one um, where our system started alerting about the property from you know, literally day two, um, and you're seeing an average well over 70% humidity in that property. Um, we're seeing the temperatures going up in that property to sort of 22, 23 degrees. And yet whenever the heating system is turned off, that property is losing seven degrees temperature over a three-hour period. So it's dropping all of that heat. Um, and yet this is a property that has had retrofit work done to it. Yeah. So clearly something hasn't quite been done right. Um, and yet we've got another property with another customer where actually the landlord got in touch with us and said, have these, have the, has the tenant taken the, the sensor strike and put them outside? It was so cold in the property. And when you look at the data, and again, the system had flagged it up, and that's why they were asking us about it. But when you look at the data over the last 90 days, the, the property is holding heat whenever it is being heated. But basically, it's gone from an average of 22 degrees centigrade in September to under 10 degrees centigrade average temperature this week. Um, and that's, that's not the fabric of the building. That is the tenant situation where they can't afford to heat the home. Well, then you managed, we managed to have a look at that, um, which obviously listeners won't have the opportunity to do. But what I found fascinating about that case was that when you looked at the historic data, you could see that the condition internally was more or less tracking the mm -hmm. temperature externally. And immediately we all went, they're not heating their property. They're not yeah. turning the heating on. And straight away, you now that tells you so much and, and sets the, the the picture of what's happening in that tenancy and how they're using that building. And I, I think just the other thing I was going to ask you was when you said that the humidity on, in that first example where the property had had some retrofit um, work carried out, um, what would you have expected that humidity level to be at for the uninitiated when you said it was 70%? What would have been a non-alarming? Yeah. Well, yeah, good, good, good point. Um, so the advised sort of humidity levels are somewhere between forty and sixty percent there, thereabouts. Now, um, we rarely see um, properties that would average around about there. Typically, you'll be seeing them towards the top end of that, sixty to sixty-five percent. Mm -hmm. um, where we really see properties tipping over into significant mold growth is sort of seventy percent plus. Um, mm -hmm. our, our alert would be set at around about 68%, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and there's there's way more factors to it than that. Obviously, ventilation has a big impact on that. So if you do have even the latest passive home, um, if the ventilation has been turned off, um, you know, it, it might not be that there isn't ventilation there. It might be there's perfectly good ventilation system. But quite simply, if somebody um, is in poverty, doesn't really matter what kind of poverty it is. If they're in poverty and they see something that is costing them money or they at least believe is costing them money, then they will turn it off. And we see that all the time with, you know, the um, passive vents um, on windows being closed up, uh, electric ventilation, mechanical ventilation having been turned off. So uh, I'm reminded of the Scottish study. Sorry for letting you off, Dane. Um, uh, at Tim Sharp, Professor Tim Sharp and his colleagues at, at uh, the Macintosh Environmental Architecture Research mm -hmm. Unit did on airtight homes with natural ventilation, where they found uh, they inspected the condition of the vents prior to doing monitoring, and they found 63% of the vents were, were closed, yeah. blocked. And it's a similar English study uh, for DCLG a few years before that, which found 60%. So that's it. the average seems to be. Uh, 60 to 60 percent or so of of, uh, of natural events closed luck and of course there can be issues with, with mechanical I live in a I rent an apartment at um, a low energy apartment that's got a heat recovery ventilation system in it and the developer in this case 
had a very simple solution to this. He's experienced, he's been doing MBHR for a while. There's a dirty big sign on the unit saying, do not under any circumstances switch this off, you know? Um, and it's it's crude, but uh, but I think it's probably pretty effective, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we've had the extent of seeing people actually taking silicon sealant to windows to seal them up, not just taping them up, but actually taking silicon sealant. And that's simply because, you know, in, in one case in particular, a guy had been told by his mate that the best way to keep the heat in was to, to seal the property up. Not let it get out in the first Might be true, but, you know, mm. you're not letting the humidity out and there's where your problems really start yeah. to... I mean, Dane, you've thrown up so many things that I really want to dive into on so many levels. Like there's the there's the education for for all of us and how yep. our homes work, which I think actually none of us are, are as educated as we need to be. And I think there's a failing in education on just the basic building physics for for people in the built environment. So there's like that whole avenue we could go down. But I'm also really keen to um, just for people to understand how the IOP system works because there's something about. Um, you know, when you start to talk about monitoring properties, I think people start to get a little bit shirty and a little bit, oh, is this a bit Orwellian? And like, whose big brother is watching me? And I don't know if I'm happy with that. And let's get rid of that as well, because there's a suspicion yeah. there about being monitored and what that means for, for tenants. So if you could explain to us, like, how does the system work? What's it look like? Um, yeah, yeah. How is it operated? Yeah. If, no, if power is an issue sometimes. Well, yeah, I mean, that was an issue in the, literally the very first property we um, went to install in, which was using off-the-shelf equipment that was mains powered and used people's Wi-Fi. Um, and quite simply, the lady hadn't been able to pay her bills. So, you know, there wasn't any power in the business and the, the building or she um, turned it off herself. And um, so the system is completely independent of the property. Um so it's completely battery powered. It runs off, currently runs off a system called LoRaWAN, which is an ultra low power, ultra low data um, system. So the costs of running it are, are pretty low. Um, typically, we in your two bed um, property, we will put in three devices. Um, and those devices measure temperature, humidity, and CO2 levels. So air quality, basically. Um, and we will put them into the habitable rooms, uh, as Duncan would call them. So the, the places that people spend their time in, um, which would be the lounge and the bedrooms. Um, and the reason we do that and, and not the bathroom or the, the kitchen is the dynamics in those rooms change so much anyway. You're not really getting useful information. Um, but again, you know, the lounge is typically somewhere where people will heat. Um, and heating is one of the heating and ventilation are the two biggest ones. If somebody can't afford to heat their home properly, then you will typically see the second, third bedrooms being the ones that really don't get heating. And that's where we see a lot of the, the mold growth happens in those rooms. They also actually are the ones where people will tend to store more stuff as well and trap moisture in there. And mm. um, so there's a lack of, um, I'm waving my hands around showing you how the air movement is working. Um, great for radio. Um, so yeah, that's where the lack of air movement will happen. But also it's the fabric of those things is what will soak up the moisture um, as well. Um, so the system basically, independent of the property, it sends the data into the cloud. Um, we use AWS, so you can imagine how stringent they are on their, their data security. And we then basically run relatively normal analytics over it um, and generate reports and alerts that will go out to the likes of Duncan or the, the tenant management team um, and alert them to issues that would be as simple as basically, um, you know, 22 iron court picking a random um, um, address out of the sky has a real issue with low temperature or high humidity or, or whatever it is. Um, and the point of it is um, not from the Orwellian point of view, but it is basically to say, if you leave this property in these conditions for the next six months, 18 months, whatever, you will have a problem. Mm -hmm. In the vast majority of cases, obviously there isn't a problem, but you just don't know when people's situations are going to change and maybe somebody can't afford to heat the home or they can't afford to ventilate the home properly. Um, and it's as relatively simple as that. But what's been interesting from my point of view is, you know, as I say, I don't, I don't come from a property background. We've been doing this six years now um, and it's been a real eye-opener. 
And I thought that people would have a big problem with the monitoring going on because, you know, there will be conspiracy theories or whatever. Um, but actually, the the overall feedback from tenants is that they're just glad to hear that landlords are doing something proactive. And there's always going to be people here saying, oh, big brother, I don't want it. And that's fine. If you don't want it, then that's great. But hopefully you won't have the problems. Sorry, say that again, Jeff. People have to opt in. I mean, I have to suggest that, right? Um, Well... All, all of our customers have really taken a different route to it. I was just talking to some guys down in Wales there um, who are doing the opt-out. We will monitor it unless you opt out of it. Um, okay. but, but what is probably um, consistent across all of them is that they are letting our, you know, the tenants know that the monitoring is happening and, and why it's happening, which is more important than anything else, really. Yeah, and there's a wonderful little story you had, which uh, which uh, I think is worth worth. Uh, <laughs> it always brings you know statistics are great, but if you can bring stories and and, and show people a bit of color to do things, this is the story of the AWOL pensioner, right? Um, so um, if you could just, uh, <laughs> I'm not totally definitely sure which one. Like this a history is chicken in his grave right now. Um, so um, uh, if you could, if you could give a, a we. Wee bit of uh, background as to, as to what the hell I'm talking about there. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> I'm not totally sure which which one that is you're talking about. The, the, our, our issue with pensioners at the minute is <laughs> that a lot of people have assumed that people will remove the sensors, and the only ones we've had removed so far have actually been in um, an assisted living home down in, in Wales. Um, we we did have one to be fair. Um, very early doors where somebody removed a sensor and put it in their freezer just to see if we would notice or not. Oh. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm not to- I'm not totally sure which one that is, Jeff. I think there was one where it was in lockdown. Um, um, oh. Where we had, yeah. Mm. Where we were monitoring and, and nobody was allowed to go anywhere. And, and I think uh, what had happened, a little old lady had... Uh, had gone to stay with family, but we had feared the worst because we had seen yeah. no signs of, of of life in a property for <laughs> a number of yeah. days, and she was quite happily going off and living with 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 uh, with with relatives. But I think I just came back to, to and this is this isn't a Renfrewshire perspective because I just wanted to, but from a from a landlord's perspective, there's there's no there's no data issues over this. I think sometimes we can get a bit too concerned about um, collecting data, I would argue that what's on your wrist will probably provide 10 times more data mm. on, on you as an individual than anything that we're going to put into a property. In fact, the property won't tell you anything about the individual, mm. whereas we seem to love to give um, lots of different um, uh, activity uh, devices all the information about our health, our heart, and, and where we're in. Yeah. And, and, but I think I would envisage this being rolled out if I was in another local authority is at void stage. We have we have a big turnover of, of voids. Most social landlords turn over about 10% of their stock every year. Sometimes putting equipment into um, properties where there's a sitting tenant can be difficult. I get that. I think you still should try and attempt that. But I think what you would the, the process that we've adopted at Renfrewshire was to install the equipment um, when a property becomes void, obviously tell the tenant, but that makes it an easier journey, I think. And it also allows you data right off the start to try and engage with any behaviours you, you think might want to be changed. See, I think that's a really interesting word, the engage word, because I think um, there's a bit of, there's there's reassurance in the way that system works in that it's sort of like radio operated stuff and it's not connected to your Wi-Fi and all the suspicions that come with all those sort of conspiracy theories aren't even in the conversation. But also if you're engaging with tenants and they understand that it's there and why it's there, I think there's a real value in that. And I think that sort of like speaks to the rest of what we're talking about in, in terms of empowering people to understand their homes and empowering people to make the most of the energy that they have got to spend their money on and and it's 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 interacting at all those levels which is not something that people particularly find that exciting or interesting and also it costs time and it costs money and people don't necessarily see the value in doing that where actually I think that's going to be a huge part of how we deal with 
the stark fact that we do have to do something to improve the quality of all 29 million homes, um, you know, on some level. Absolutely. I mean, we we, we looked at the, in the data, I just want to make it clear, we looked at data anonymously on another property before we came on this show, Sarah, earlier in the week, and there was a property, as Dean was talking about, was was mirroring outside temperatures. That's a social care issue. It is. Yeah. You, you, know, you have a responsibility as a landlord to act, not just engage, but intervene and find out what is going on. You, you can't you know, leave. You know? Having those stories, and again, to come back to what Jeff talked about about how this, how do you, how does this stuff land? How does this become important? It's the stories. Ever since we saw that, I haven't stopped thinking about that family who are in that home, who are li- like, because we came home yeah. from a weekend visiting grandparents. We came back to our flat and it was 11 degrees. The temperature was reading inside and we were frozen and we were going around with our coats and our scarves on waiting to like heat things up. And that we were in the privileged position to be able to do that. Imagine you don't have that choice and how that is so debilitating. And it is a social care issue and it's an absolute scandal. Yeah, totally. And and I think that sometimes as a bunch of professionals we all inhabit a, 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 an economically different space from the people that we look after and I think something in the report Jeff we spoke about I'm, 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 I'm breaching podcast rules here of becoming co-host I'll try and put I'll try and put myself back in my own box but you're doing yourself if you want I know you've, this was good to you've uncrossed your arms as well maybe if you <laughs> cross your arms again there you go back into guest mode I'm going to start <laughs> so no I think one of the reports said I don't know if we shared it with you it was um, the Wise Group, which is a social enterprise up here, it, it, it provides advice and assistance to tenants, vulnerable households, and fuel poverty. I think they said, "Is Jeff? Am I getting this right? Eighty-six percent of the customers that they have now, clearly those customers are in fuel poverty. Disc itself disconnect on a weekly basis. They 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 switch off their heating. I mean, it's the twenty-first century, man." Yeah, it it is absolutely extraordinary, and um, uh, as we we're saying. Um, I, uh, I I was looking the other day at a, at a, a photo ops that uh, that Dominic Rab uh, was doing in food banks. You know, uh, this burning mug. Uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, celebrating the uh, a, a failure basically of, of of government. So I think I think we need to take it to the next level and encourage Mr. Rab to uh, to go up and take some to, to take some selfies in front of people while they're disconnecting their electricity yeah. the next thing you know, it is it is outrageous um, and I know for as somebody who went who lived in Scotland for four years uh how how uh, awful the conditions can be you know in in uh, in student student homes I was renting would have been you know and in fact there was there was one uh there was a kind of mixed development of, of social housing and student accommodation features which is um yeah it was tough it was yeah. tough conditions. so absolutely The thing is, so I do not absolutely disagree with anything you said, but to a lot of these people, money talks. Basically, the people who are maintaining and managing them, and you know, I I have not come across anybody who doesn't care about uh, the tenants, but in some cases, they might be caring more about the financial status Mm -hmm. of of their own organisation, and that's where you know, systems like ourselves or can can help on that front as well. Because, you know, we've got another customer. Interestingly, they started monitoring through the summer and we didn't think they'd see as much value um, as we have seen through the winter. But bloody hell, it's been amazing seeing how many things. And they've had two properties, but one of which in particular, that as soon as the sensors went in, they started seeing that there were problems. Um, and They've now um, relocated the tenant from that property. They've started investigating it. And they know that this tenant has been complaining for six or seven years about the property. And wow. um, they, they have now estimated that their cost to rectify the problems that weren't just, yeah, okay, it's not really an issue. £42,000 to rectify the issues in one property. And so there is the financial, there's not just the social aspect of it, too. there's the financial aspect. But if you think about the social, and Duncan talks about this a lot, you think about the social aspect of it. If that had been tackled seven years ago, they'd now have that 42,000 pounds from that one property to spend on something else. Well, that's, that's how it all interrelates, isn't it? I mean, I think yeah. there's a really good point that you said about, um, 
you know, not having having not met anybody who's um, looking after all these tenants who doesn't care. And I think just I think we should come back to say that, you know, local authorities and councils, they get an awful lot of flack. They get enough, and it, as you said, not paid very well, vastly under-resourced. And this is not an exercise in, in, in bashing those guys. I think it's the ones of, it's the Dominic Rabs and the Robert Jenricks yeah. and all that of the world yeah. that actually are the ones that need to experience this firsthand and then allow and facilitate yeah. the the um the social housing landlords and and um property managers to be able to access this, which leads me to a question about um, you know, what is like what is the um, resourcing that councils have available for something like IOPT? I mean, IOPT seems like a great thing to do. How widely used is this? Is it? Can, can I can I chip in from a how do you make the case to to add value? So to, if I can just add, and, and maybe Dane, because he's closer to other um, authorities than me. But let let's just say an authority would spend £10 million on avoidable rot work damage over a 10-year period. I think without um, giving uh, Dana, uh, holding him to a price point for other, other people to gauge against, but I, I think if you were to spend £3 million up front on installing that equipment, I think you would eradicate six to £7 million worth. Well, you would eradicate pretty much the £10 million, but what I'm trying to say is, by a fairly modest spend of three million. Now, a local authority like us has a thirty million pound investment budget year on year, um, so you know conceivably spend a couple hundred million over the next um, ten years easily, especially mm-hmm. with some of the, the retrofit challenges that we have. So, you know, I've been, not been flippant about it, but two and a half million, three million pounds is not a lot of money for two reasons. Because if you can save essentially seven million pounds for that. Well, that's you cost effective. But it's come back to the point you were making about what does it save you health benefits? What does it save? And this is the passive house argument we had, not argument, but the conversation we had at the at the passive house uh, trust uh, day was we need to start to talk about the health benefits, the economic benefits, the environmental benefits, the social benefits. What is a person not staying in fuel poverty worth to society, worth to the economy? So it's looking at things perhaps in a, in a wider focus. That's very difficult for technical and, and managers. I get that, and asset managers who are tied tied to budgets. But I do think we have to consider not just the spreadsheet value as mm-hmm. the social value and how we, how we join those. And now, the other thing I wanted to say before, you know, I'll, I'll let Dane in. Is we, we're we're still running around being reactive just now. Mm. The, the, the trial we have is great, but imagine if we could do this at such a scale, it would start to inform policy now. So if you if you lifted the lid on hundreds of thousands of properties, whether they be private or social or private rented, it would start to change how you deal with things now at policy level, and that's I think that's where we have to be at. Is we have to shift this on to all our understanding about building and building internal environment is through Scottish House Condition Survey, English House Condition Survey, which is a an occasional poll of people and what's going on. It's not very, it's not very accurate. If we could get that real time data for literally hundreds of thousands of properties, I think it could lead to radical policy change. But it's building pathology based, it's building physics based, it's, and it's provocative for the whole industry, for whether it's designers, clients, uh, tradespeople, you know, because, because you know, you build a building, you finish it, you cut and run, um, and, uh, you, you know, and, and you don't know whether it's working or not. So It is, it's a whole system remake, isn't it? It's a whole shift change around it, because what I think we've, I've had this um, discussion quite a lot recently, where it's like, once you get and you understand what we've all been missing, which isn't actually hugely technical. Like, I mean, we can all kind of do a little bit of a pivot on our baseline understanding of how buildings work to vastly improve that. Like it's fundamentally changed how I work as a designer. Um, We're trying to build a local retrofit offer where I live right now. And we're trying to work out where are the blocks how do we facilitate this? Because it seems like an absolute winner on so many fronts. It's it's not yeah. it's not improving buildings and these are your co-benefits. It's like these are your benefits. Exactly. Hands yeah. down, all benefits. <laughs> and and this 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 the opportunity that's there. I cannot understand how anybody in any decision-making capacity hasn't gone, wait a minute. This is brilliant. I'm a, I'm going to be in I'm going to be in my government position forever because I'm going to save everybody's <laughs> life. Like what? 
It's an interest. So we are working with a local authority at the minute, right? And their chief exec is absolutely all over it, loves it. And he would rule it out tomorrow, but he's got to work with his team who are going to be using it, right? Um, so that's great. But we did have one of his senior team turn around and say, but we don't work proactively. We only work reactively, right? Now, this is the thing. Until somebody actually sees it working and they get it, but you've got to get in there. Now, what was interesting was the head of IT for the same council turned around and said, is that not the beep, beep, beep point? <laughs> um, and, and, but to be fair, this guy isn't a dinosaur. He's, it's just, he just hasn't seen it before. So he's actually now seen it firsthand, seen how it worked. He went out to a property the day after we flagged it up and said, you know, there's something not right here. And he came back and said, ah, there's a bloody leak from this property into the property below. So it's not just that property it was affecting, but the property blue. And it's as simple as that. We are seeing a change. We have seen a lot of people, and it's that old, you know, adoption curve of the early adopters like Duncan and Renfisher and you know, some others as well, um, who've gone for it. And they've been out talking about there. And now we're seeing a lot more people interested and beginning to understand what it's about because there's that fear of the unknown it's as yeah. simple as that and it's also whether you're a baddie or a goodie uh, so i think sarah you're a goodie right so you are going into this from the perspective that you you know you want to help people and uh and and you probably like people and and, and all that kind of stuff um but but you know uh you need to think about it from a body's perspective too i don't know i don't know if you need to make it work from their perspective you know you talk about reactive repairs i was immediately thinking uh maybe it's easy too easy for me to inhabit the perspective of, of a body i don't know um but um uh, i was imagining you're talking about a, you know kids hitting balls against a window and breaking it um uh, and comparing that against other kinds of reactive repairs in terms of the rot works well if those kids were living in moldy flats Maybe their asthma would be so bad that they couldn't be outside throwing balls around to do the damage, you know. So well, I, d- I don't think we can. <laughs> I don't think we can entertain that there are such creatures. Although I think we can probably identify in our minds who we might be talking about. We might have mentioned some of them earlier on the call. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, I, th- I think no. I, th- I think we have to. Uh, I, th- I think it's easy. It is easy to be critical of local government, but in fairness, the vast majority of Dane's clients are going to be local government guys. And and in, and it's, I used to use the term some, and and this isn't just a public sector thing. It's a it's a general, you know, um, rule of thumb. When you're in a job, you, you can easily become that little um, Duracell battery bunny where he just bangs the symbols. You just do the same thing. You know that kind of advert where the guys just banging the symbols, and you know. We all, we all, whether it's private sector or, or social rented, we can get into the habit of um, fixation on processes, and this is how we do it because it's how we've done it. Um, I think it, it, it has to. You have to have leaders who expand, or you have to have people who try and expand and change that. Dane's absolutely one of them, and hopefully, what we can get is an uptake that it becomes a norm. You know, mm. we 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 talking about this Dane that disruptive. We hate that term disruptive. You know. I, the disruptive technology, you know, it's. I yeah. think it's, prog- it's progressive technology. It is, isn't it? But it, I suppose, and its language is important. Like what words we use, and and I think we've talked before about whether you call things like retrofit, retrofit, or you actually yeah. call it something else. But I think that is that is important. But I think um, coming back to like say the work that like that A can do. When we came away from COP, and um, we've done a lot of post COP analysis recently, and we came away from that all with the sort of same feeling of, well, our leaders don't get it, but the youth movement get it. And let's see how we can continue to facilitate them into positions of power where they're the ones making those decisions and, and seeing that they have an opportunity and like unleashing their, their own control over their own power and seeing that they have that. Because I think when you talk about having leaders who <clears throat> want to deliver that change and are not just going to roll out the same stuff because mm. they're going to look at what the source of the issue is they're going to look at like not dealing with the with the sort of the, the symptoms of things but actually the cause of things and it does take a type of thinker for that I think and maybe that's what we just need to be focusing on in education terms yeah it's good that's a good point Sarah. That's yeah absolutely you know we're we're getting and I, I, I accept I was being too glib. <laughs> this is a good thing. I know, you know. You rely uh, on me for it, Jeff. <laughs> I know, I know, and I know most people who, you know, are working in, in 
you know, in the local government, most social algorithms and so on, of course, uh, you know, uh, would, would, would have the best of intentions for, for their clients and so on. It's a question of, of making it, you know, of making it possible and convenient for them, for them to, 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 uh, to, I mean, you're showing benefits, I suppose, of a system like IOPT for those landlords too. Um, you, you know, uh, yeah. I'm putting it in a way that, that it's going to make it easier for them to, you're showing them that it, that it, that it makes sense for them, that you can help them to, uh, to, to improve things. I have to say, linking this to the education point that just makes our, that really interests me. Put, without these kinds of tools, so much of what we talk about is theory and supposition, and it's hard for people to kind of understand. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, also, I think even in terms of getting new blood, getting people to, to, to get interested about getting involved in, in buildings, and, you know, uh, getting young people involved in this as a career and so on. You're, this, these kinds of tools help us to, to understand buildings better. They help us to show that, that, uh, that d- designing and constructing buildings, it's a STEM subject. It's, it, this is science with real world applications of science mm. for the improvement of people's lives. Mm. And uh, while simultaneously addressing the climate fight, I mean, what's not to love about that? I don't know whether you find, uh, you're in a position now, Dane, I suspect, where you know a lot more about buildings than, than an awful lot of people actually out there who are qualified and practicing um, you know, uh, professionals and and, yeah. and trades people. Uh, you know, with with a lot of experience because you were hanging around after they're built. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I'll tell you what has been interesting. We sort of assumed that we would be enablers, and you know, we'd be putting the technology in. We give people the access to the data, and then they can interpret it and stuff like that. And um, what's been really interesting and a bit scary is people have been coming back to us and saying, "Right, okay, so you've identified the problem. What do we do next?" <laughs> and we're sort of like, well, we don't know. We're not building managers or tenant managers or whatever, but but that's what people are expecting us to do because I don't know if it ties into what Duncan was saying. People are just in their jobs and they're just you know doing their day to day, and they don't have the the capacity to go out and think differently about stuff or what. But um, we are having to get into it a little bit more in, in depth and understand the fundamental of what the problems are better mm. so that we can then help them move forward. And that's what it's all about is, is making change. Can I, can I just make one, because I think we all here, we, 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 I know you're right, Sarah, retrofits, this we need to find. I think Dan and Alex can surely find a better word than retrofit, but we're stuck with it for the time being. But, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to have to retrofit a lot of our homes to, to decarbonise and to provide healthier and, and, and more comfort or more comfort focused buildings. But one of the reasons when just going back to the start of this process, we um when we looked at the budget, we thought, well look, is this a is this a specific thing to our local authority? Is it just us? Is there something going on maybe contractually or whatever? And we 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 did uh we got the Scottish Housing Best Value Network to do a poll of their members. Now they got a sample, you never get a full member um, analysis, but we got a sample which we felt we could extrapolate. I think it was 15%, maybe as much as 20% of members had come back. And, you know, I'm happy to share this with individuals uh, at local authorities, but but not, not so wider. But what we took from that was that we were fairly certain that in Scotland alone, Scotland's got 600,000 social rented homes, just shy of one in every four, about 24%. And we were fairly sure that the industry was spending about 50 to 60 million a year. This has gone back five years ago. That's half a billion over a decade. Mm. That's half a billion on essentially uh, repairs that don't have to happen if you provide a different type of product or if you intervene in the tenancy in, in, in terms of ventilation and heating. And I think given that we're going to have this massive retrofit task I think we have to move away from looking at the cost of Dane service to the value of it. Mm-hmm. Because let's not spend half a million on, on Rotworks. Let's move that over to something way more productive. There's a finite amount of rent that we collect that we have to spend on investment. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the money that we'll have to spend achieving our targets comes from that rent. Mm-hmm. So let's make sure we maximise what's coming back from rents. Um, and, and I think it's really powerful when you look at it in that kind of you know, countrywide scale of the of the cost. You know, we talked a lot as well about. I'm thinking about, you know, shifting the focus on where the money's coming from, where the money's spending, and I think as well, like, 
in terms of the bigger picture of this huge retrofit ask that we've got this like national scale issue that we are going to be confronted with more and more as we go and the one thing that keeps coming back is this sort of skills gap the skills gap and who's out there who's able to install this and who's out there who's able to be operatives in all of that and that we were talking the other day about you know we every so often we'll just be screaming into the void sometimes and just trying to come up with ideas of like how what's what are we missing like what is going to be a really significant leverage point and it was back to education again and saying you know obviously ACAN and Stucan and that whole um I mean they're having huge impact across architectural education across the UK which is saying our education is failing us and we need to do better and this is what we want you to teach us this is what we want you to teach us and we sort of had this conversation where I said what if there is like an absolute mandatory module on retrofit from a systems thinking perspective not just on this is how you install EWI like but that whole system like retrofit as a community service retrofit as as building value in your community um, and and that and from a design perspective, but also in their part threes, um, like a toolkit or a manual for how you just set up on your own a, a local retrofit offering that you then don't need to be relying on the likes of these big architect driven um, practices that pay so poorly and just continue to have the same issue like just you know same thing people churning out crap instead of addressing these main issues and suddenly you're building independently this new you know stream of people who are hitting the ground running and able to go and and conscious of it instead of just always going we're trying to turn this old this massive ship around it's not turning fast enough it's like well just start delivering it out from the bottom up you know and and seeing what we can do with that like just change these systems from the mm. bottom up really yeah. frustrating i think that's really interesting jeff sorry you yeah absolutely it, it, it really is um i am I, I, um, I have to add to that um i mean i don't know what, so much what the situation is in 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 uh in the uk with with regard to our iba in this regard but um in ireland uh, there's an, an architect who have on some stage actually helena McElmeal, um was talking about um how the the uh the fee the fee structures and stages for architects in Ireland don't include uh at any uh stage or guidance on um on post occupancy mm. evaluation of buildings you know um that's surely fundamental there has to be you know if we have any uh conviction uh, about about the kind of advice that's been given to people about how to build buildings and retrofit buildings it has to be founded on, or it has to be subject to that kind of scrutiny. We have to know whether the buildings are are, are working or not, right? Yeah. Well, here's another shameless plug for ACAM, but like this is the point where we're talking about a stage eight in the circular series. They ran, um, they were trying to build in the circular economy principles into the REBA stages. Um, and they, there's a whole series which they actually um, are long listed for an ASPB award on because it was just really, really a brilliant concept. And they're working on like putting something out so that people can learn from that. But they can see all of those on ACAN's YouTube channel on that there. I had no, I had no direct hand in that. That's just something I'm really in admiration of. But it is that. It is sort of saying the, the post-occupancy evaluation and, and turning this linear process into this circular process where we're like putting the education and the knowledge back in. I'm doing loads of circular movements with my hand. <laughs> Nobody can interfere. <laughs> to make sure that that then goes back into the architectural schools in particular as well. That should be fundamental. Uh, people should not be allowed to propose theories on, on how buildings uh, should be designed unless it's it, it, they have some sense that, it, that, that that there's credibility underpinning it. One thing I'd like to, to, to say, I'm going to have to leg it off soon as well, pick up the kids to go and see Santa. Um, but uh, but uh, uh, well, they you know well they still believe. Um, but um, just to just Santa's to, real uh, for all you kids listening out yeah, there. What <laughs> well, the kids love this. Yeah, exactly. Um, just to, just to um, to uh, address this, in the, uh, one point to address, Dane, for any of our more conspiracy-averse uh, listeners out there. Um, uh, uh, when you talk about information going back into the cloud, you, you, you can you can confirm that the cloud isn't. It's not on like a, a mothership where the spaceship and space <laughs> lizards are observing the data, so they can find out when the when the occupants of buildings are ripe for for uh, for for definitely cooking not. and eating. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. And it all sits in the UK as well. That's that's the other thing. I do th this is a shameless plug for my future employer, but I, I do think that what would be really interesting is more analysis of new build 
and you know post occupancy new build because we have an accepted we have an accepted narrative amongst policymakers that any new build is good. Mm. And I think there's a massive question mark over. I, I know because I live in a new build and it costs more than the previous Edwardian um, townhouse that I had to, to to heat. So I think we need to shine a light on on that in terms of um, you know what what we're building to regs just now is is not as amazing as perhaps politicians would would have us believe. Well, and that's a really good point because I think we've been t- talking about IOPT and we've all been thinking about, oh, he's putting them in and sort of older and more yeah. properties. Actually, it goes in all of them, right? So that yeah. you can see that, yeah. I think Don't if we... If, Don't assume, measure, you know? Yeah. Also, Jeff, schools, we were having the conversation internally about the schools guys when you think of the air quality because one of the big things that the Danes technology um, highlights is that air quality. We didn't really think about this until we started talking to them. Is like... If you've got schools with poor air quality, well, that's an issue for learning. You need to look at so it's multiple applications. Um, and there's right. a small issue of a pandemic as well, of course. There were <laughs> there's that as well. Yeah, there's, there's, the, there, there's that as well. Yeah, well, that's that's the one thing that we saw from the pandemic was the air quality. Um, yeah, reduced pretty significantly whenever people were working at home. Average wow. air quality, average CO two levels went up by forty percent. I yeah. mean. And we just don't have sight of any of this. This is what's so important, I think. And this is what's so great about this sort of approach to things, which is like get an understanding, know what's happening just because we can't see it, you know, yeah. understand it. And cool. Well, well thank listen. you very much. Uh, it's been, and Sarah, I have to say, uh, you're doing a far better job than, than I, I could ever. And the usual guy. I mean, I've, been, I've been a journalist now, supposedly, um, <laughs> for uh, the best part of two decades. <laughs> um, you're absolutely embarrassing me so stop it this is just because you're feeling a bit worn out now and you want somebody to to keep this running for a few weeks you can take <laughs> a white man of a certain age who's feeling threatened and vulnerable <laughs> that's all right i'll slowly work on y'all and then we'll stop referring to groups of people as guys and we'll move on to that. <laughs> don't worry i've got i've got it all i've got the measure of you <laughs> it's, whenever it's you been start. a real pleasure again i really get so much yeah. out of this actually no, listen, get a lot I, of learning out of this Thanks for having us on. It's been it's been great. Thank yeah, you. It's been great. So, yeah, cool. Okay. I'm just expecting you to play us all night now with the violin that's on the wall <laughs> in the background. Uh, baby steps, Dane. Baby steps. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Cheers, guys. Take care.